Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest theatrical and streaming releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five movies for you. In the Heights, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, Army of the Dead, Riders of Justice, and Plan B. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means life is too short for that mess. And I think that might be the first time I've said just life is too short for that mess instead of the pandemic, because mm-hmm. it feels like we are semi on the other side of it now. Kind here, of here in Southern California, here in Southern California. Yes. To be specific, <laughs> <laughs> not as a global population just yet. Global population is what I just said. Global population <laughs> just yet. Okay. Uh, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all happening. Uh, since the last time you and I, um, made an episode of the show, I have been to a movie inside a theater, not once, but twice. Which ones did you see in the theater? I saw Cruella and I saw In the Heights. Uh, only one of which we are reviewing on this episode because have you, you never, you didn't get to see Cruella, right? I did not, no. Um, <laughs> I, I have a question for you. Is the last yeah. musical you saw in theaters Cats? Hmm, good question. I think so. Probably just by process of elimination because that came out at like the end of 2019 um, and is quite possibly responsible for everything that followed. Uh, <laughs> it's not. They're talking about a lab leak. I feel like they are really not looking at the key uh, yeah. chaos agent of 2019, yeah. 2020, which is... Yeah. Cats. Which is, and specifically James Corden. Um, specifically. But, well, also specifically those tiny roaches. And the tiny roaches, or not so tiny, uh, right. yeah. as the case may be. But, or it depends yeah, on the scene. <laughs> depends on, is, is it the strange-sized fork? We never know. Uh, we, <laughs> as, as we all remember, the rule of perspective with, with, with the Cats movie is, is nonsensical. But... <laughs> Uh, yes, In the Heights was the first uh, movie musical I've seen in theaters since Cats. Why do you ask? I'm just wondering. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, was, it was, it was, you know, better. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Cruella, Cruella was, we're not going to review Cruella because Rebecca has not seen it. Um, but I will say that for me, it's a big, it's a binge it. Um, or, wow. well, is it a binge it? It's, you know, it's maybe a binge minus at the very lowest to consume plus. But generally, I was a very big fan of it. It's a lot of fun. It's like the gayest mega blockbuster that you could possibly imagine. Um, And just last night, somebody was asking me, some friends FaceTime me while they were drunk last night. And they started talking about Cruella and they were like, so do they explain why she hates dogs so much? Why does she hate dogs so much? And I was like, because they killed her mom. And they started laughing. And I was like, no, no, that's what happens in the movie. They kill her mom. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds me of this old mystery science theater oh, joke. Where it's just like, I don't, it's just so dumb, but it's like, stop playing with sticks. A stick killed my brother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corolla does follow that logic. Uh, that yes, in the, in, the, in the prologue, it opens with a scene of a, a pack of Dalmatians knocking her mother off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are notoriously asshole dogs. Yeah, yeah, no, and they're like the peacocks of the dog world, you know, mm. like they have very fancy, you know, show ostentatious appearances. The underneath, they're just like violent narcissists. So. Mm. Uh, and Cruella knows that. So she's like, no, normalized Dalmatian murder. That's what I say. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, so those things are those things are all happening uh, on, on my side here in L.A. Um, have you been going out into the world of, of, of your new hometown uh, at all or still just kind of enjoying your gorgeous home? Uh, in, in enjoying the home, um, we went out for our first outdoor dining, which I feel like all people have been doing for a while now, but we did our first um like a week ago and that was a bit awkward but it was also really fine 
Um, but mostly we've been watching. It was watching. really fine. It was really, I mean, it was, uh, in terms of safety, the food was delicious. The drinks were great. I, I love uh-huh. the place. It's probably one of my favorite places uh, in the world, the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. Uh, we have been home a lot. We've been watching a lot of fabulous TV. Um, so Loki, obviously the new Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. We have been watching Hacks. We've been watching... Um, on Peacock, there's a new show, show called uh, We Are Lady Parts that's really uh, excellent. Yeah, we just watched the first episode of that last night. Wonderful, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, and of course, loved Hacks. Oh, my God, Hacks. Between Hacks and, and Army of the Dead, Los Angeles, <laughs> or sorry, Las Vegas has been very front and center. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. It makes me miss it. It does. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we should also note, uh, just for just for the diehards out there, in case you've been worried about how long it's been since Rebecca and I were together in person, well, we we can let you know that we saw each other. All right, we did. We yeah, did. I, I, get, mm-hmm. I know it meant meant perhaps less to you, but nothing. yes, it we meant saw. Nothing to me. <laughs> I forgot you were there. It was we were at a friend's house, and there were a couple of our good friends, and I forgot you were there. It's true. We did not speak much, but uh, but, we, <laughs> we, but we were physically together on Memorial Day. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I remember and Scott, n- but I don't really... <laughs> <laughs> It was not the emotional reunion that you listeners might expect for us to have after seeing each other for the first time in uh, nine months or so. But, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to fake it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it either happens or it doesn't. And then this time it didn't. And, uh, and that's okay. But uh, really but we did. No, no, it's true. Um, I I specifically cut you off all the photos I took that day. Um, <laughs> uh, I was watching hacks on my phone while you were talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna ruin that show for me. <laughs> um, but uh, but yes. So, no, you, so actually, that's... you said something at that party that I have just been thinking about and thinking about, and I don't understand. It was a little off-putting. I'll say, is that. Um, you had been you did not binge girls five ever and i just i don't know i mean i guess i like i kind of admire it and i'm also just kind of confused about how you could not do that so i think the reason that we did not binge girls five ever it was truly a very deliberate thing because i knew it was only what like eight episodes Mm -hmm. um and that the episodes themselves were you know to what 25 minutes or something and from the very, from like the first 30 seconds of the first episode, I knew that it was, you know, killing me softly with its song. Like I, <laughs> I, knew, I knew that it was 110% my exact shit. <laughs> and, and because Tina Fey has programmed me um, to, to need that exact shit. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, and in, even when she's just an EP on something, she still um, is able to get those shows, whether it be Kimmy Schmidt, whether it be uh, Great News, like to get mm-hmm. them to feel like exactly like like Dirty Rock, that exact same rhythm of humor, that same voice. Of course, her husband's same music. Um, so I just I was just like, I cannot just watch this in like three and a half straight hours. I need to space this out and savor it. And that's what I did. So I really, I really, I really spaced it out. It took me, I don't know, it took me like a good, maybe month to watch it. Wow. Like we really, like we, we took our sweet time uh, uh, watching that show. Um, So, because you know what I say? Cease and desist, bitch. (laughs) You said, what about Kosovo, (laughs) (laughs) y'all? Oh my God. I mean, I was even thinking uh, just yesterday, just like all those moments and like the favors that kind of all overlap in terms of like their specific jokes, like the The the, cowboy hat in a bar. The (laughs) I was was thinking of the moment at the end of the first episode when like they're all sitting on the bench outside the restaurant, they start to sing and then the lady like throws (laughs) coffee on them and she's like too early. (laughs) Um, Which, which ties back to two different 30 rock jokes. Um, one, whenever like Liz is just like in like a rare good mood and she's just like dancing on the sidewalk, she's like, I love this. Things are turning up Robles lemon. And then someone, and then like someone just like spits in her mouth. (laughs) And she's like, she spit in my mouth. Um, and then they had some cutaway once to like, you know, some like vivacious, like Upper East Side socialite, like I love New York in the springtime. And then like someone just like a a teenager, like shoves her into a bunch of garbage. (laughs) 
<laughs> the cowboy hat in the bar reminded me of when she was like kind of like a pseudo celebrity on the show because um, she had, like was getting everyone's sandwiches and she like had this cowboy hat and was doing the Julia Roberts laugh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my god right that's an wolf my teamster sub for you yeah yeah so yeah what are you gonna do has been great tv has been great tv has been there for us um if nothing else has so my god hacks what the hell i know i know and like and there's two different actors in that show who were like doing you know comedy spots around la and they always sell out before i can Mm. buy tickets one being hannah einbinder who plays ava and the other being the brilliant Meg Stalter, who plays Paul mm. assistant. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, have you are you caught up on the show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I spend my time thinking of ideas for emails. Ideas for emails? I don't know my job. <laughs> Luciento Poppy. Stop calling me Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we need to at this yeah, point. Yeah. We could do this forever. Um, but. So our movie yeah. review podcast is all about TV. <laughs> we have five movies to get through, guys. Five. Yes. Okay. In the Heights, number one. Ah, yes. Let's go. In yeah. Washington Heights, New York, the scent of warm coffee hangs in the air just outside of the 181st Street subway stop, where a kaleidoscope of dreams rallies a vibrant and tight-knit community. At the intersection of it all is a likable and magnetic bodega owner who hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. That was an A-plus cold read. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you, <laughs> Thank you. you didn't, didn't, I mean, that, that, you were not ready for the content of that description, mm-hmm. but you really, you got through it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, that sounds like my, uh, my experience of the movie as well. I was not ready for it, but I got through it. <laughs> uh-huh, okay. Well, how about you get us started then? Um, maybe I don't like musicals. Um, I think I, I think I do, but I think I, I, uh, this one was really hard for me to, so my, my partner soul really wanted to see it. And so I was like, cool, we have to watch in the Heights. Let's do it. Made popcorn. Let's, you know, get all cozy and watch it. And it was like, there's that claustrophobia you feel when you can't shit talk a movie while it's on. And you have to you have to sit there and you have to watch it. And but then you start doing the whole like airplane scenario of like, what are all the ways that I could die right now? <laughs> like, how long could I hold my breath? <laughs> Would my body oh, rebel against that and and then make me breathe. Um, it's it's a it's a fun outlet more than it is, you know, serious. But um, at one point, though, one point. She broke. We, we looked at each other. And it was like, oh, you think this is all crazy bullshit too? And and it was be- a beautiful moment. It was the moment where she's walking down the Joker stairs. Uh, the one of the characters walks down the Joker's infamous Joker stairs and sees this like piece of cloth and is um, just so inspired by its beauty, the 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 cloth of a uh, graffiti artist. And it was just like the thing that pushed it over the edge. And it was it was really nice to have that break in the atmosphere so that Sol and I could together be like. Oh, you haven't been enjoying this? Thank fucking God. <laughs> wow. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that is. And, and so did, did were you able to debrief it with her afterwards? Uh, like, you know, is she also somebody who just doesn't enjoy musicals? Or no, she was does. It this one? Oh, interesting. Uh, and she's, she did like it more than I did. I, I think, um, you know, there were just some really, really cheesy scenes um, like that one. Mm-hmm. And then the ending, uh, I think, was a little disappointing in that, like, the the the, the female love interest kind of, um, you know, doesn't her life doesn't play out to its full potential because she falls in love with the protagonist and ends up selling her clothes in a bodega. I don't know. <laughs> that, that was, that, there was another scene there where, where she, you know, surprises him with the bodega uh, line of her collection and then she's like standing in front of the dress that she made that she's trying to be so proud of it was yeah (laughs) the bodega line (laughs) (laughs) it was very it was very hard it's just so earnest you know um and also i I think i just hate everything about uh lin-manuel miranda (laughs) and his his little fingerprints are just everywhere in this in that like you know the lead the protagonist is kind of doing a Lin-Manuel Miranda impression the whole time. I feel like if you closed your eyes, you would think it's him doing that rapping thing that he does. 
Um, and then he's, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, it's hard to watch for me. Wow. Huh. Well, that is unexpected. That is unexpected. I know, because I'm such uh, a Smith's head. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, wow, 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 wow. Um, I, I have heard that Gen Z hates Lin-Manuel Miranda, so this is just you pandering to the youth, I think. <laughs> uh, like, even there are you... so many browns. Why didn't you like it? <laughs> I'm like, so you're telling me the two brown women watched this movie with all these brown actors, and you guys didn't like it? Uh, <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I love this movie. Like, truly loved it. Uh, like, had such a good time watching it. Uh, I thought, you know, the, the energy was so, like, intense and strong throughout. It just was, like, unflagging. It never, like, really dipped or dropped in that, in that, in that, in that intensity. I thought that John Chu's direction, like he, he just made all those set pieces, all those giant musical numbers. He just made them so cinematic and so yeah. massive and so just like awe-inspiring. Like, oh my God, what am I looking at? Like, how many extras is this? Um, and uh, you know, I, I found the story to be compelling um, because you know, I think it's it's a very it's a it's a somewhat slight story, but it's. It's a personal story, you know, it gets him, it's it's Miranda writing about, you know, where he is from and, you know, and writing about, you know, just sort of this, this tight knit community there and just there. I think even if you, I feel like if you took the, the music out of this, I think it would still be, you know, just sort of like a very sort of like interesting, uh, very grounded, very sort of like slice of life uh a social realist movie you know about about you know this yeah this this community of people that are trying to hold on and, and celebrate their existence in the face of gentrification and change and so i mean i don't know if this is just the kind of movie that is made about but not for brown people you know <laughs> like it's made for white people like me to be like ooh yes i appreciate this and that's why and you started so I, calling it washington heights i i, I <laughs> thought i heard you say that earlier <laughs> Yes, and now I tell people that I'm from Washington County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, <Nice> <laughs> you're like, listen, only I can say that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought that you know, the cast was, I thought that Anthony Ramos, I mean, he, who plays the lead, who also took over for Miranda uh, in Hamilton on Broadway. Um, so, you know, definitely has experience with the, the, the you know, Miranda pentameter or whatever you want to call it, uh, the cadence of the rapping. Um, I, I, if I, if I'm being honest, I actually prefer in the Heights to Hamilton, um, because I just love that kind of person. I, I always, I just prefer a personal story. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I just loved the, 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 the depiction of this, of this, of this community. Um, you know, I enjoyed all the sort of like all this the different vibrant players in the ensemble. I of course love the, the salon ladies, um, oh, but the salon Vega. song. It's such an example of like not everything has to be a song, guys. Like <laughs> those are just those are just words. That's just okay. You own the salon, okay? Like it doesn't have to be a song. Like there are no. So afterwards, I, I was I mean, like, I don't uh, know who you who are you arguing that with? Like Lin Manuel Miranda? Or are you gonna tell him yes. like, hey buddy, that could just been dialogue? Can you just make this dialogue? Yeah. Um, <laughs> At the end of it, I was like, maybe I don't like musicals. And, and I, do, I think, you know, for the most part, I wouldn't say that I'm like a musical fan in particular. And then so I was like, well, what's your favorite musical? And I said, Guys and Dolls. And so we started watching it. And it was like, yeah, there's like a fair amount of dialogue that, you know, um, explains the story that isn't built into the song. And the songs like are fucking bangers. Like they still they're still bangers. Um, I can't remember any of the songs from In the Heights. Because everything is a song, except for that one sung by the abuela. Right. But I don't even remember how it goes. Well, no, but that was a very powerful scene. Mm. Uh, they <laughs> sure made you made you know that it was a powerful scene. I, I do agree with you about like the set pieces in the direction. I think it felt like very magnificent. It felt very, you know, guys and dolls or, you know, like um, those swimming musicals from the 50s. Like it was yeah. very grand and it felt very dynamic in a way that like for instance cats didn't like cats felt very flat when they had those big ensemble scenes mm -hmm. i think the direction was was really beautiful cool that pool scene that song in mm -hmm. the in the in the in the pool was was really gorgeous um yeah. 
it's just there's just a I think you you like him or you don't because you either appreciate his you know over the top earnestness or you are off put by it and I fall into mm-hmm. the latter camp. I see. Yeah, I mean, you know, I usually don't enjoy things that are, you know, that are kind of trying to be overtly inspirational. And I didn't feel like this movie was being overtly inspirational. You know, like I, I felt like, um, you know, I felt like it was telling what felt to me like very sort of real stories around, you know, people trying to leave this community and go out into the world and, and not always succeeding and or, you know, feeling that kind of identity crisis and and, of you know, that, that tug and that you know, back and forth tug between sort of like your roots and where you come from versus the life that you want to live in this world and how to reconcile those things. Um, especially the world's telling you that you don't, you know, belong everywhere else. And what do you do with that? And, you know, so, you know, so, I mean, I, it, it did not set off any of my like, you know, cheese ball, uh, uh red flags at any point. Um, so, and, and, and you know, and, and we were watching it, this is, you know, I, like I said, we, we watched this in a theater and, and that, of course, could have had something to do with it. Maybe if we had watched it, just the two of us sitting at home, um, you know, we, we might have had that kind of more of like, a OK, well, that's a little hokey. But in the theater, it were, you know, everyone was just eating that shit up. So, uh, you know, it was just like it was very much that energy of like a theater of people that are all just like totally vibing on this really, really exciting, energetic musical. Um, and I even, you know, I love the little touches like the, you know, the sort of like the nod to old musicals with not only the Esther Williams bit with the pool, but also like the dancing on the side of the building and, you know, like, uh, you know, not to sort of like Kelly and Astaire and, and, and Rogers and just all the hoofers of, of the golden age of Hollywood. Oh, um, I feel like that, that sideways building scene. Um, uh-huh. I, no, I completely agree that it does have a very like Gene Kelly feel to it. Um, but that, and also like the protagonist's name and the story behind it. Uh, it's, yeah. It's Navi. Are these, are the two like, uh, they're like a really fine point of, of things that like it, they, they, they take a bold leap with both of those. And to me, they just make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's like VR, you know, it's like, Oh, this is a really bold thing, but I'm kind of like sick to my stomach about it. So I just, it, I, I couldn't appreciate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like generally more, you know, or at least audiences are more on your side on this one uh, because it did not do well at the box office. And then not only did it not do well, then it got into this big colorism controversy. Right. Okay. And uh, so, you know, so it, it feels like this. Uh, and then even even poor Rita Moreno has now been besmirched in this whole thing. So, uh, yeah, it's I'm very it's, excited for the West Side Story coming out. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, they they did show that. uh that trailer before it for us for our screening of it um so yes let's 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 get someone like spielberg back in there to tell the stories people of color <laughs> where he where he belongs i mean i feel like well i don't know anyway lemon randa tbd on him um what are you giving this one jason that's a binge it for me Ooh, uh it's a send it back for me wow <laughs> yeah it's streaming Wait. on hbo max and it's in theaters what no, just quite a quite a quite a seven ten split we have on this one. That's that's how we like to start it off. Um, it's rated PG thirteen. Movie number two, The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It. One of the most sensational cases from the files of real life paranormal investigator Ed and Lorraine Warren. This chilling story starts with a fight for the soul of a young boy, then takes them beyond anything they'd ever seen before, to mark the first time in U.S. history that a murder suspect would claim demonic possession as a defense. You want to take the lead on this one then? <laughs> sure. I don't know. Have we reviewed any of the, the first two movies in this series? I don't think we did. Uh, I want to say definitely not because I didn't necessarily realize that there were two other movies. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, th- this one, uh, you know, this is another movie that was, um, you know, one of the movies that Warner Brothers would have been doing a, a, a regular theatrical release for, but that they put on HBO Max as part of their deal. Um, otherwise, I certainly would not have, I would not, in no world, would I have gone to pay to see this movie in a theater, unlike In the Heights, which I happily did. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 a horror sequel. But, you know, I, I but I think that, you know, I feel like I want to measure it almost the way that I measure comedies where I'm just like, did it have the 
intended, uh, uh, you know, physiological response that it wants from the audience, you know, uh, in the comedy, of course, like, did it make you laugh? And in this is like, okay, did it scare you? And yes, it did. It scared me. Uh, it definitely freaked me out. Mm. Uh, all the, all the, you know, all the, the, you know, the jump scares worked on me. They were all done with mercenary precision. Um, you know, like it, it, it just, yeah, it knew how to, how to, how to just spook me. The, you know, like the, the, that old chestnut of like being in the morgue and then suddenly a body that was on a slab was no longer there. Uh, that always gets me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I found it to be very sufficiently, uh, scary. Uh, you know, it's by no definition, a good movie. And of course, like all the, the movie, the, the the franchise's ongoing commitment to trying to make the whole Ed Lorraine Warren thing sound like it's all rooted in objective reality remains <laughs> questionable. Um, but, you know, they play that terrifying audio over the end credits. <laughs> and I was like, no, <laughs> fuck. Because I watched it at night. I'm like, this is a bad move. Mm. What was I thinking? Um, and, uh, you know, they have such an ace uh, in Vera Farmiga in these oh movies. Oh, my God, yes. Because she's able to sell it all, like, and she has just such a, she has just like a effortless natural sort of intelligence and complexity to her uh, interiority as an actor, and so she's able to just like really elevate the material. Whereas Patrick Wilson is just like a pile of bricks sitting there. Um, <laughs> well, I think that works, though. I think yeah, that's the dynamic that's needed, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it's just funny to watch her kind of act so many circles around him in, in, in movie after movie. Um, but yeah, you don't really end it in there. And they always like, has any couple in history say each other's names as often as Ed and Lorraine say each other's <laughs> names in these movies. It is. That. No, no. Um, but uh, what did you think of this one? Um, I like the vibe of, and again, I haven't seen the other two. Um, it felt very much like the eighties, classic horror movie that it's you know the era of 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 movies that are about um you know satanic panic and um like sort of taking these um like overlap between serial killers and like demonic possession uh in into a movie that was like like part of the public consciousness you know so i feel like it really captured that time and place um, and a hundred percent agree that, um, she's just, is really able to make I know, horror movies always on that line of like camp or scary right. or like legitimately scary. Um, and I think she pulls it into the legitimately scary territory, um, uh, with her just seriousness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think overall it's horror movies are not all, <laughs> I don't like, I don't like musicals. I don't like horror movies. <laughs> I hate horror musicals. Uh, little shop of horrors worst time ever i mean no that's not true but um yeah i don't know i i don't know that i would necessarily mm, like recommend it but i think it i think it held its own it felt like very like we're not like not gonna make any waves with this this is the, the you know the kind of horror movie you know this is another one of them yeah yeah yeah, no, it, it 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 proudly sticks to its formula and its formula that it does well. Um, I will note that uh, uh, our our dear, our closest Satanist friend Beth Dean did take issue with the portrayal of Satanism in this film. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was wondering. It was interesting that that like, um, I felt like this was the first time I've seen a new movie um, that references Satanism as part of a horror movie in all seriousness, and I was like, hmm, that doesn't track. Like <laughs> it would have been the same thing as, you know, to me, it felt like they were saying something about like, you know, the immigrants or whatever in a way that like in the eighties, that may have made sense. But now it was like, no, Satanists are like, that's a real religion. You can't like, but at the same time, it, it captured that time and place, I think. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something about the, you know, this franchise has always been, you know, a, a very stealthily conservative retrograde uh, franchise um, because of the sort of uh, religious values, you could call them, um, that are sort of put forth in them and by Ed and Lorraine Warren and the whole sort of like spiritual warfare thing that they that they, uh, you know, sort of exist within in their in their work, so to speak. 
Um, and yeah, certainly it made me think of like when we watched Hail Satan and, mm. you know, just imagining I would have what I wouldn't pay to have a commentary track on this movie mm. by like the Hail, by the Hail Satan team, uh, you know, to sort of take issue with this very like we stopped making that totem, those totems years ago because they're <laughs> not environmentally friendly. They are appropriating Native American culture. Right, right. Exactly. And we don't wish ill on anyone. And also scientifically, you can't prove that they work. So. We don't do totems anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I, I didn't understand what was like, uh, what was said in earnest by the movie about Satanism and religion versus what was like, we're going to make one of those movies where these were the the battling forces, you know, where it was mm-hmm. all kind of like tongue in cheek or not. Yeah, I mean, this is, this movie is it's it's pretty earnest, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, because Ed and Lorraine Warren are real people. And, you know, and, and they, you know, believe in every word of this stuff. And so, you know, so the movie and I think that's 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 part of why the movie is so stealth in its conservatism, because it seems like this kind of pastiche that you couldn't take seriously. And yet these people exist and they take it all very seriously. Oh, I, I thought that was just part of the marketing. Oh, well, fuck this movie then. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. No, I thought it was just a gimmick. No. This is why I appreciate you these thought, conversations. You thought which part? You thought which part? The whole part thing about them being real and these things really happening. I mean, no. obviously that part's still up for question, but oh yeah. You literally crazy. read the synopsis a minute ago that said real life paranormal yeah, but you investigators know, or whatever. What is reality? I don't know. <laughs> You're like, listen, you know, I'm a postmodern kind of gal, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, no, no, it's all meant to be. It's all meant to be real, and like the audio they play over the end credits is meant to be like real audio of like an actual exorcism they did. Well, then I stand with our friend Beth Dean, <laughs> local Satanist, to say this movie is trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say for me, this one is a, it's a, it's like a consume. It's like a straight down the middle. Like I, like I said, it's an effective, it sets, it, it accomplishes what it sets out to do in terms of being scary. And, uh, and as we mentioned, Vera Farmiga is always an ace in the hole. Uh, she's, you know, one of the, always one of the most fascinating actors to watch work. The things that she does are always so unexpected and just, just distinctly only she would make the choices she makes with her performances. And she's just one of the greats. Um, so always fun to watch her, uh, even if she's elevating otherwise very ho-hum material such as this. Mm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, now that you've heard this review and if you're not like me and you know what you're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I can't undo the fact that I thought it was a decent horror movie. Um, but with this additional context, I would say it's somewhere between a consume and a consume minus. It's a consume minus. Okay. You know, like, to be clear, better than In the Heights, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I had to watch one of these over again, 100%, I would rather watch The Devil Made Me Do It. 100%. <laughs> Even for all those moments I was worried about, all those all those damn dogs. <laughs> 100% worth it. Oh, all right. rats. Anyway, yeah. Hot, hot takes. Hot takes from Rebecca. Movie number three. <laughs> Where are we going with this one? Army of the Dead. After a zombie outbreak in Las... Oh, I never said. The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, is streaming on HBO, and it's rated R. Army of the Dead. After a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries takes the ultimate gamble by venturing into the... (laughs) Teacup says hello. Venturing into the quarantine zone for the greatest heist ever. Hi, Teacup says hello. Hi. She's made her debut yet, but she is now. (laughs) Never far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did watch this movie with me, Army of the ah. Dead. And I realized why you wanted me to watch this movie. Um, because you wanted my expert analysis on if the zombie tiger accurately captured feline movements. Thank you right? for, for recognizing that. So now I don't have to ask. And it, my answer is 100% yes. I feel like that zombie tiger threw him around like I've seen Tika throw her little toys around. <laughs> I mean, uh, here's where you're actually bearing the lead, which is that they use teacup as their motion capture model uh, <laughs> for the for the zombie tiger. We are uh, rich as hell. <laughs> got that Netflix money. <laughs> did you did you even did you read the synopsis? Did I miss it? 
Yeah, no, yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. I'm so, so thrown by the teacup of it all. Um, but, uh, but yes, well, good. Well, now you've addressed the tiger, we can, we can move on, um, and just move to the next movie, really. I don't know what else there is to talk about with this one, but, um, uh, yeah, I will just say that I feel like only Zack Snyder could take a a, a subject, like a, a plot around, you know, a group of, uh, you know, mercenaries being sent into a zombie controlled casino to take, to grab, like, millions and millions of dollars before it gets blown up and turn it into like a two and a half hour long dirge. <laughs> <laughs> this was the Snyder cut. That is, it is, it is the Snyder cut with Netflix. You're always getting the Snyder cut. <laughs> There's no, uh, <laughs> no studio interference. And, uh, which goes to remind you that sometimes studio interference is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this one was strangely joyless and not so fun for a movie with such a very, very silly premise. Um, silly premise, fun, fun, big cast. Um, even like the branding was fun. The intro seemed like we were going to get some kind of, uh, hybrid of a video game and, uh, a, um, hangover type. <laughs> and it was not that. Right. No, no, it was not. It's true. Yeah. The intro does make you think you're going to be getting some sort of like, uh, yeah, just like super stylized. Yeah. Like video game movie. Um, and yeah, with like all these like crazy moments. Uh, and that's not, not, not exactly what you end up getting in this movie. I will say the intro as a standalone movie music video was very good. Oh, that's right. We were talking about that. We said it's like, it's like the, the up of zombie movies. Uh, <laughs> right. You really you get you get entire life to death narratives uh, all done in montage in that mm-hmm. opening sequence, and uh, and it, was that around the time I, I believe you mentioned that you oh talked yeah about this soul and she got scared and wanted to turn no. it off. So and also I think here to clarify not necessarily the opening sequence but the credit sequence. So there's an opening sequence, that's where she got turned off because of the violence, and wow. then there's a credit sequence which is the music video intro credit. That's that's the up. We hadn't gotten there yet, but that's uh-huh. what I'm saying. Okay. It's own stand. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I also, I was also thrown by their, you know, true to Zack Snyder form. There's lots of sort of extra details and plot elements that, you know, don't necessarily feel like they were needed. Um, and that might serve to actually confuse. For instance, early on in the movie, I became convinced that the main um, conflict was going to be about this sort of like refugee camp. Um, that was built around this this Vegas area, and uh, and the the fact that the the president of the United States has decided to annihilate um, Vegas with like a nuke to destroy all these zombies that have taken it over, and the humanitarian crisis that presents because of this um, you know these refugee camps, and I was like oh that's an interesting take, and then like and then the refugee camps are just summarily forgotten about, and then it becomes about like fucking Ocean's Eleven. Um, you know, but, but with zombies, uh, to go and like liberate this, you know, very rich, you know, hotel Titans fortune from some vault, you know, to get through, which, you know, hence commence the video game operation. You know, how can you dodge the zombies and get to the vault? Um, so yeah, I, I didn't, I was not hundred percent clear what even the main focus of the movie was. And I was also mm-hmm. thrown wildly early on when I realized that the character played by Dave Bautista <laughs> is named... Scott Ward. Scott Ward, for those of you who don't know, is my husband's name. And there's this uh, scene where they 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 they're like this other character is like, "What's your name?" And he's like, "Scott Ward." <laughs> what? Scott Ward. Okay, Scott Ward. Like they they say it a <laughs> yes. lot. Yeah, they really they really draw many many lines under the name Scott Ward in this movie. And yeah, when that happened, I like had to like. I was like not paying attention because I was already like checked out. And then I like did like this like dramatic spit take and then rewind in like film it with my phone and text it to Scott, even though he was in the next room. Um, so, yeah. So that was when I think of this movie, I always think about the fact that Dave Bautista is playing my husband and didn't really get to I mean, when I think of your husband, Scott, I think of Dave Bautista every yeah. time. So this yeah. is really kind of confirmed. Yeah. You get some dead to rights. Uh, you know, I can't I can't take issue with any aspect of the performance in that regard. I mean, it is it is, you know, I can tell how closely they work together on it. So mm-hmm. so shout out to Dave Bautista. Um, bravo. But, uh, you know, otherwise, I don't know, uh, you know, not not really much to point to that I enjoyed about this movie. Um, 
you know, it's certainly interesting to watch all the Tignataro parts, knowing the whole backstory there that originally uh, Chris D'Elia had played this role. And uh, then after his um, sort of like sex scandals came out, then Zack Snyder made the decision to spend many, many, many millions of dollars um, refilming those scenes with uh, Tignataro, which was inspired casting and uh, and then just digitally placing her over him uh, in all these scenes. Oh, crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 wild. And she it is it is it is a treat seeing her like doing this like grizzled action character. She really <laughs> she is a natural. Um, I'll give her that. And I also say I did have apocalyptic dreams the night that I watched this. Mm, really? Yeah. So it did infect my subconscious. I did have. Uh, so I guess, you know, the, 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 visu- the visuals are, of course, per Zack Snyder, incredibly visceral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so it did, it did manage to, to get under my, under my brain skin, <laughs> if that's a thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I can't say that I enjoyed myself watching it. Um, because despite its very, very, very silly premise, it takes itself very seriously. Um, which is of course a Zack Snyder hallmark. And, uh, and that made me enjoy it less. Uh, what, what, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely not the movie that I wanted it to be, but it was adjacent enough to that zombie Ocean's Eleven that I kept being like, well, maybe now it will turn. No, well, it's kind of fun for this. Nope, it's terrible. Um, And by terrible, I mean sad and um, nihilistic and uh, not a good time. Uh, So it's an interesting, yeah, mix of those genres feel like not feel good but exciting action heist and i don't know just end of the world uh no redemption no closure nightmare right so i mean i i think that the 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 piece about the the um the refugee camps you know it's there because it it does end up like being a way to tie certain characters back to certain motivations that they have to allow this like ensemble cast to like move forward. But, and I, and I thought it was, yeah, I definitely thought I was going somewhere interesting with that. That's, that was a disappointment that it didn't quite follow, but I still think it was um like a, a good move to include. But it, yeah. it really detracted from the oceans 11 movie that I wanted. <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, it, did you, did you find it scary? Uh, no, I, I mean, it's clearly disgusting. Yes. But not scary. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, did not, did not find it scary. I thought, you know, the closest it got to being scary was the sort of the, the way that they filmed the scene where the sort of like the asshole guard is dragged into the building, dragged into the con, uh, the, the, the casino by the zombies and like mm. hoisted up to that high, high floor to be, you know, assessed, uh, by zombie court or whatever that was. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was, that was just filmed in a very sort of claustrophobic, like you're in his shoes kind of way. So, you know, but yeah, no, yeah, not, not particularly scary, not particularly exciting, just kind of depressing. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and, you know, not, you know, no one wants a movie about a plague or a pandemic involving quarantine that is like <laughs> this depressing <laughs> um, and involves like almost every character dying a sad, horrible, violent death. And uh, yeah, so I don't know who wants this. And, you know, and, and, and Netflix certainly went out of their way to market it like the, the ultimate good time midnight movie. <laughs> Um, so props to them for tricking people into thinking this would be a fun movie because mm, goddamn, yeah. it is not at all. Wow. It just so, feels uh, very just like reinforcing of everything you, and uh, reinforcing and also um, a super accelerated version of, of everything you already know. Like, yeah, the bad guy is, is doing exactly what I expected him to do. And that's disappointing. And also it's terrible. And also it's now he's a zombie and he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you going to get this one? Consume. <laughs> <laughs> it's still exciting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I guess I might give it like a consume minus. Okay. Um, like I, 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 
just for the Scott Ward factor. And I can't, I can't knock my husband. <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't do send it back for the movie where Scott Ward is the main character. So I'll give it a consume minus just for the Scott factor. But, uh, but that's it. Army of the Dead is streaming on Netflix and it is rated R. Our next movie is Riders of Justice. Marcus returns home to care for his daughter when his wife dies in a tragic train accident. However, when a survivor of the wreck surfaces and claims foul play, Marcus expects his wife was murdered and embarks on a mission to find those responsible. You want to take this one? (laughs) (laughs) Because you forgot to watch it. Yes. (laughs) Guys, guys, it happened. Uh, We, we, it's a throwback moment for the binge uh, because Rebecca has been so dutiful and diligent uh, this whole, this whole pandemic, but alas, the time has come and she forgot to watch one. Um, and you were excited to watch this one, were you not? I was, yeah, as a Mads head. Um, <laughs> yeah. Total, very excited. Total Mads head. Um, and, uh, and as a Mads head, you will love this movie. Uh, <clears throat> the thing that's unique about this, or the, what, what this movie made me think about was kind of how we were talking about in another round, uh, how another round, the last, uh, big Mads movie that of course went on to become an Oscar winner. Um, you know, it was, what was fascinating about it, uh, one of the things that was fascinating about it was the extent to which it felt like a formula that wouldn't be out of place in, like, a major Hollywood studio movie, um, you know, like a wild hogs, old dogs kind of thing about, you know, a bunch of, uh, a friend group of, like, middle-aged white dudes that decide that basically, you know, what, what maybe our lives would be more exciting if we party more and if we're drunk every day. And, uh, you know, so, and it played out that kind of very uh, entertaining Hollywood feeling concept, but with Scandinavian intelligence and sophistication and nuance. Uh, Similarly, this movie feels like that same kind of twist on like a Liam Neeson movie. Uh, So uh, because, you know, we have, uh, you know, with Mads basically in, in the Neeson role, uh, you know, as the film begins, we see that he is he's like in the military and he's off, uh, you know, on assignment. And then, uh, you know, back home, the, you know, his wife and daughter board a train and then there's an explosion on the train and his wife is killed. And um, and now he comes back and is not very close to the daughter is a teenager um, and they don't have a great relationship and uh, and he is, you know, a very just sort of like strong and silent type. And so he's not really wanting to talk about it or, or process it or, or or grieve openly. And, you know, which just what's more uh, more distance between the two of them and makes her angrier at him. Um, and, you know, he is just not wanting to basically make any meaning of the whole thing to him. It's just like a random senseless thing. And there's nothing that could have been done. But then this is where <laughs> this is an unforeseen twist. There is a nerd who was on the train, too. This nerd is like a professional sort of like statistician who works with data Mm. and um, and just sort of uh, and it turns out that when this explosion occurred, there was uh, someone, one of the people who was killed on the train was a, a, a high profile witness in a lawsuit in a big showy trial against this sort of like crazy violent biker gang and so this nerd starts to like run the numbers and it's just like statistically speaking it is impossible that this attack was random he's like i've run the numbers and the numbers don't (laughs) lie and this attack was was intentional and so and he you know tracks down mads and uh and tells him as much you know and it's just like this this was on purpose. Someone did this, and you know Mads is not wanting to hear it, not wanting to believe it because it is it, it is it is too incendiary of a thought to think that somebody could have done this to his wife and that somebody might be responsible for it. And he's he's scared to let himself fully believe that. He just wants it to be a random thing that he can just be like, well, it was random. There was no whatever it happened, and no one did it, and it was a terrible accident, and and now our lives are are different. Um, but the nerd convinces him. And uh, and the nerd has a whole squad. Um, so there are there is a, a a trio of nerds that at that point essentially move in to Mad's home, 
And the uh, and Mads is not wanting the daughter to hear this whole backstory. And so the daughter has been pushing him to uh, let them have grief counselors come and visit them because, you know, the hospital where um, the mother was taken is, of course, you know, European hospital. And so they're like, oh, here are all the different cares and services that we provide. Um, you know, and we have these 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 grief counselors that, you know, we would love to send to to start working with the two of you as you process this terrible loss. And Mads won't have it. But then when these nurses are hanging around, they decide to present themselves as if they are the grief counselors. And so there's oh, this wow. kind of weird. So there's this like slapstick farce that starts um, where these like really, really like over the top nerds are bonding with the teen daughter and helping her process her grief while secretly they are working um, with Mads in like the barn outside of the house to track down who these figures are involved with this biker gang and who it could have been who planted this bomb on this train or that was responsible for rewiring the tracks so that it ran into another train. Um, so uh, it's it's really the elements of it are are very like tonally discordant um, because you know it's of course it's it's handling like a, a really heartbreaking horrific family loss. But then it's also throwing these 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 like kind of slapstick nerd comedy elements into it, and uh, and then before you know it, you have uh, a gay Ukrainian sex worker with a little mustache who also joins the sort of makeshift family. Go on. Um, and uh, like it is, it is just it is a fucking wild ride. This movie, like. I have to imagine there's going to be uh, uh, an American remake because it is it is just so uh, surprising at every turn. It does not end anywhere near where you think it's going to end as it's setting up all these different pieces of the story. Uh, and it's it's ultimately kind of absurdist and in, in, in a way somewhat nihilist. Um, but, you know, but ultimately is about kind of like making these chosen families um, to to help get us through these you know these moments where life stops making sense, and sometimes the sense that can be made really is only in um, those chosen families. So it is I, just truly unexpected. Um, I wasn't particularly crazy about wanting to watch it just based on like the poster and the title. I thought it would just look very. It just looked like you know like a cheap Liam Neeson movie. Um, but I should have known better. I should have known that with Mads involved that there was something more elevated going on here. And sure oh. enough, there, there is, uh, it is, and it's also a Christmas movie. Um, I said <laughs> it is, this all happens at Christmas time. And so it really is like the new Die Hard. Um, it is <laughs> the new like Christmas action comedy about like an emotionally constipated man who is sucked into mass carnage at the holidays. Uh, uh, to defend his family. So it is something, this movie. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a real delight. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it and, you know, and to me, it, it works there. You know, I think, you know, of course, there are folks out there who felt like maybe those elements were ultimately too discordant and it did not work. Ultimately, all these mm-hmm. different pieces coming together, especially when looking at it from the rear view. Once you finish the movie and seen where the story goes, you might feel like, hmm. Um, I don't know if it worked, but for me, it really worked. And I just could not have had a better time watching this movie. These nerds! You won't <laughs> believe how much you'll fall in love with these nerds. Like, one of them is named Emmentaler, like the cheese. It is, it is, it is wonderful. Um, so I, I cannot wait for you to watch this movie and to tell me what you think. And, and, and for me, it's a total binge it. Well, this is this is great. It's always nice for me to experience the show as a listener, and now I'm very excited to see it. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, you gotta you gotta watch this one toot sweet. Yeah, it's it's gonna go right up on the right up on the queue. Um, right. Hopefully, we don't have a uh, in the heights like <laughs> seven ten on this one. There's there's no I don't think there's any musical numbers, not even a dance scene. So oh, I was gonna ask, does he dance? No, okay. no, no dancing. Riders of Justice is available to rent on Apple and Amazon, and it is unrated, but it's probably an R. Jason, this is our last movie. Save the best for last. Plan B. After a regrettable sexual encounter, a straight-laced student and her best friend have 24 hours to hunt down a Plan B pill in South Dakota. This feels like 
what Army of Dead, Army of the Dead should have been. You know, you have this like life changing, uh, life crushing event going on in the background and, and a, and a, a goal and a caper Mm. and it was fun along the way. It never lost sight of the, uh, seriousness. I think it touches back to how, um, unfair and unjust the scenario is that these young women have such a hard time getting the plan B pill. But along the way, you meet a lot of crazy characters. You learn a lot about yourself and them. (laughs) And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, And it is directed by the actress Natalie Morales, uh, who has been popping up in things for many years. Uh, I think many might know her best as Tom Haverford's uh, on-again, off-again girlfriend on Parks and Rec. And uh, yeah, this is, I mean, this is a movie that will almost immediately remind you of of many other movies that you've seen. Um, It is perhaps the most aligned with uh, Booksmart. Uh, in overall sort of one wild night between two teenage girl besties eventually leading to, you know, conflict and resolution. Um, But, you know, and it's also uniquely not even the first, but the second comedy about two teenage girls trying to uh, prevent an unwanted pregnancy to be released following Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. (laughs) Um, The first of which was called Unpregnant. Uh, All right with Haley, Haley Lou Richardson uh, and Barbie Ferreira. But um, so, uh, but this one, I will say that I, from, from the very beginning, the movie, the movie had me completely in the palm of its hand um, within the first like 60 seconds. Like it was so immediately funny. Um, it had such a specific point of view right away. Um, these two young actors who play the two girls are so charismatic and so funny. My God. S- I mean, the chemistry they have together is... It's is, Broad City-like. It is. It is absolutely Broad City-like. You're right. It's very Abby and Alana. But even, um, like, less... I think the thing about Abby and Alana is that you also... You love them in spite of the fact that you hate them. These characters you don't hate. Like, you... Right. You just, And they're not perfect, but you no. just love... And I hope this is first of many movies that these two go on together. Yeah, <laughs> you want to turn them into the uh, new, like, Laurel and Hardy. Yes, new conjuring. <laughs> Let's see these two girls do some exorcisms. I would watch that. Oh, hell yeah. Um, they are they are so funny. They're so great together. Yeah, I totally agree. I would watch them do anything. Um, it is it is, it is, is just a treat. And I was not familiar with either of them uh, prior to this, but, but they're both just stars. They're both just natural stars. Um, yeah, there aren't really many known actors in this film. Uh, Rachel Dratch pops up, um, mm-hmm. but that's really, and uh, but that that's kind of really the the long and the short of it. Um, and yet, still, you know, you're just you're just on you're just on the ride with them this whole time. Um, you know, I would say that as the movie continued on, and I would say the beginning, the first act especially, I was like so delighted because i was like i don't know where they're going with this like all of course like i knew i knew the broad strokes of like you know like okay this is like you know of course knowing the title that was leading to an unwanted pregnancy okay where's this gonna go um and uh and even the specificity of these different characters that they're introducing like the you know this this sort of the guy who um is the unknowing father of the (laughs) so to speak the would-be father um, is this kind of Christian dork character that's done in a way that I have not really seen before. She's like, no, I don't want to hear about your church. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It is so funny. It's so well observed. Um, so I think the only ding I would give it is I feel like once the two girls hit the road to start driving, because of course the whole uh, part of the whole premise here is that because of how many um, uh, Planned Parenthood clinics have been closed, especially in red states, um, you know, and and uh, and also given the provisions that permit pharmacists to make quote unquote, you know, m- what do you call it, moral, moral, whatever, mm-hmm. um, basically, you know, permits pharmacists to to deny um, patients uh, or, or customers Plan B pills if they have a moral objection to it. 
um, you know, that uh, they have to now drive something like, what, six, six hours or something to uh, to go to where they understand the closest Planned Parenthood clinic to be. Uh, and which is insane and which the movie handles in a way that is really not preachy at all. Uh, like it is not even like there is ultimately a very emotional scene at the end where, you know, the movie sort of cashes its check in terms of like the political point that it's making. Um, but up until that point, it's really just just like the, it's just sort of like the framework for a really delightful buddy comedy. And that's the thing that really, I think, makes the the point so hard hitting is that. You know what the premise is. You know that they're going on this odyssey to go to to get the pill, and then it's sort of then you forget about that. And there are all of these characters that they encounter along the way. One of whom is the actress Edie Patterson, who I yes. previously knew from *Knives Out*. She played the housekeeper, who right. is this like kind of like are you are you a little over Kristen Wiig's whole thing, but you want like a fresh take on it. That that's this character. That's uh, Edie Patterson playing this woman who works in a gas station. Um, just a real wild ride. So then, so now you're so endeared to these characters and all the experiences you've gone through with them together. And then when it comes to a head, you remember that it's like, oh right, all of all the, you know the politics and the laws about their inability to access this pill affects you now as well, right? Right. Right. Yeah, which is which is very 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 well done to your point. Um, but uh, but yeah, once once they once they hit the road and the movie kind of settles into a more recognizable one wild night formula, then I, I for me it became slightly less enjoyable. Um, no, by no means bad. It just like the element of surprise was gone um, because like once it's once it gets into that, then it's like oh, okay, so now we're just going to be doing a road trip story with all these unforeseen setbacks and wild characters and scenarios. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, I mean, like, it's fine. Um, but I didn't think that they like reinvented that formula necessarily, but there's still, there's still I, I, you know, reveals along the way, but yeah. I agree that that was definitely a formula, but I th- think that some of the ingredients of that formula were very unexpected for me, <laughs> such as the, 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 the gas station penis. attendant. Yeah. <laughs> also that, like, it really, it really is a hangover like where it pushes that envelope in terms of like in terms of like is this appropriate for a movie at like what is this rated i can't believe they're doing this (laughs) um and so i think that breaks up the the sort of predictability of you know the different characters you meet along the way on the journey right right yeah i would agree and you know and i i felt like uh you know it ultimately ends well like you know it's, it's it doesn't uh it isn't, you know, it gets to make its point while also still ending in like a satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, it's really, it's a special little movie. And, you know, and, and it's just on Hulu, so everyone can watch mm-hmm. it. Um, and I, I hope everyone does, because it really, it's a, it's a real treat. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I guess the one other thing that it does do is it still traffics and sort of like the, the dream boy, woke white boyfriend type. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, uh, I think I remember you dinging when we were talking about Moxie. Um, but you know, so, you know, it still, it still has that, but God, but he, but he's really dreamy. So I didn't, mind. <laughs> uh, super, super dreamy. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's, there's sort of like, you know, queerness, uh, comes to play uh, a role in the storyline in a somewhat unexpected way that at first I wasn't sure how I felt about, but by the end, I felt like, okay, no, that, you know, I, I, I felt like it was an honest way to, to incorporate it. And the way they handle it, I think makes sense as it wasn't like a, a cop out or anything. I thought that it, um, yeah, I thought that it, it made sense why they did it the way they did it. This movie is so funny. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. I was just thinking when you're talking about the queerness, um, there's this part where, where one of the characters is put on like speed <laughs> it, like, goes on for a minute and it, Keeps being so funny in a way that, like, again, you have actors that are unknown, uh, like to nail it that long in such a, yeah, such a good way and then still have it be so touching and meaningful is, I don't know, this movie is definitely needs more conversation. I think this is getting a binge it plus pick of the week, pick of the month, whatever our cadence is now (laughs) for me. Yes, and and oh, another thing I wanted to mention were like the needle drops in this movie are really unexpected. Mm, yes, 
<laughs> well, I, I, I had to check. I was like, wait, what year is this taking place? Because it's, it's really committed to like cheesy, like late nineties, early aughts song choices. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, like you get some, some, you get some, she's so high tall Bachman dropped in there. Mm-hmm. You get lots of, lots of unexpected. Uh, yeah. So that, that details also, I can't remember the other ones. I don't know if any come to your mind, but, uh, but you know, otherwise just let it be a treat if you, at home decide to watch it. But yeah, this is a, a, a binge it for me as well. Um, and a fantastic directorial debut from Natalie Morales. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's streaming on Hulu, as Jason mentioned, and it's unrated, but it would definitely be an R. Uh, <laughs> yes. Watch this movie. That's it. That's, That's all we it. have to say about that. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts. Uh, Jason is on Twitter at... Excess baggage. And I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.